Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? Guys, I stood right here, right here. I was right here at this spot two two years ago on September 25th at about 5 p.m., and I said these words. Dear family and friends, it is my honor and joy to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Taylor Moore. Woo! And the crowd went crazy. It was so moving to see my son Taylor get married to a beautiful woman who loves the Lord. I got to stand right here. I got to look him in the eye. I got to cry with him. I got to be in that moment. And for, pers- for me personally, that was a great moment of peace. And honestly, it was a bit of a relief because something significant had been completed. At this point, at that moment, Kyle and Taylor both had been married. They were both married to really strong Christian women. And something that I felt God had wanted me to get done and, and was on my shoulders to make sure it happened had happened. My sons married the right women. That was a big weight. I honestly felt just got lifted off of me in that moment and in the best of ways. Not something I didn't want. It's something I wanted, but it just felt like God said, you're done. Good job. And I kind of thought maybe tonight Abraham was having some of those similar feelings when he saw Isaac marry Rebecca. You know, the longest story in the book of Genesis is this chapter 24. My fundamental premise tonight is that marriage deeply matters to God. God created marriage as a platform to bring salvation to mankind. That was its purpose. You know, it's funny as you start looking at this text, there were so many directions to go, weren't there, guys? There's just so much content. And the hardest message to teach is this one because it's so counterculture right now. I've struggled all week knowing I need to talk about marriage, but it's so not popular right now. But God created this, you guys. He created this platform, this marriage as the center, the cornerstone of civilization. It was how he was gonna bring salvation to mankind. Think about it, the first act of God when he made the woman was to join her together with the man. That was the first thing he did, he brought them together. That was the first wedding. The first miracle done by Jesus was done at a wedding. The final scene in the Bible is a wedding, uniting Jesus to his church. Tonight we see God use the marriage of Abraham and Sarah to continue the line of people who will eventually bring forth the Messiah. This family line was built and maintained, think about this, for 4,000 years until through another marriage between Joseph and Mary, Jesus was born into this world. I think that story makes it pretty clear. God really thinks marriage matters. I'm gonna explore three thoughts tonight. First, it's the beauty of this love of a father, of his son helping him find, Abraham helping him find the right wife. It's such a beautiful thing. And next, we'll explore the character of that servant who was committed to the task that his master gave him. And then lastly, we're going to see this final picture of the wedding where Abraham so deeply wanted his his son to be married, and we're going to look at the greater purpose that that wedding had in the fulfillment of the covenant. Three things. I'm praying tonight you'll feel a stronger commitment 
to helping our young people value marriage. And, at, and after that, you'll be even more committed to be like that servant with that passion of the servant to bring people to Jesus so he can meet his bride. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we so much want to hear you speak. Lord, help us not be distracted. Help me not be a distraction. Help our phones not be a distraction. Help with the goofiness in our head not be a distraction. Lord, Father, give us 20 minutes with you, 20 good minutes, so we can hear you, Lord, please. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. In Genesis 24, verses 1 through 9, Abraham is completing the work of a life well lived. He's followed God well, hasn't he, you guys? And one of his last and most important decisions was making sure Isaac married the right woman. The Canaanites were evil people, and God did not want them marrying his people at all. In Exodus 34, 15 through 16, Moses warned about these people. It was hundreds of years later, but he said these words, Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you, and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Abraham knew these Canaanites that were living in this land worshipped false gods in very despicable ways, which included sacrificing their children. Not surprising when you hear the news today, is it? Abraham could see how radically different God was from those pagan gods. Abraham had seen God fulfill all of his promises, especially keeping his son alive on Mount Moriah. So he was committed to making sure God's covenant was going to continue through Isaac. Abraham knew Isaac's wife would have a huge impact on him spiritually. It's not different for us today, you guys. The same issue lies with men today. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Do not be yoked to an unbelieving spouse. One key lesson tonight is this, that fathers should influence the choice of a spouse for their children. Fathers should influence the choice of a spouse for their children. For men to help their children choose a spouse, though, we have to have a strong relationship with our children, you guys. We have to spend a lot of time with them. A lot of time. Quality time is what matters. No, that's baloney. Put that saying in the garbage. Quantity matters. Quantity makes a big difference because when you have quantity, you have time to study your kids. You have time to understand them and see how they think and what makes them emotional and what makes them make bad decisions and what makes them happy. What are they gifted in? It helps you understand them at the core of who they are. It helps you develop a loving relationship with them. It helps you build trust with them. It helps you discipline them and show them that the boundary lines of God are drawn in pleasant places. All of that comes together when you have a lot of time with your kids so that they can learn to trust you. We indeed earn the right to influence their choice when we have earned their trust. When it was time for both of my sons to pick their wives, there was a moment which each, with each son where we were at a crossroad. I remember each day vividly, and they were not fun days. There was a lot of crying. There was a lot of struggle. There was a lot of difficult conversation. And it was a crossroad for each boy 
Yes for this girl or no for this girl? They gave me the opportunity to join them. They let me be part of that. They invited me in. And we spent hours and hours talking and crying and sorting and discussing and praying and asking for God's help. But I can tell you guys, I had put in the hard work. I did. I had older men tell me when I was a young man, put in the hard work, Bill. Put in the time with your sons. Be good to their wife, their mother. Treat their mom well. Spend time with your boys. Know your boys. And when the time comes and they need you, they will trust you. I had done that because an older man had told me to do that. I believed Christian men that told me to do that, and I did that. And so when those moments came and the hard work was needed to be done, we did it together, and my sons trusted me to help them make those critical choices. They're both married to the right women today because we helped do that together but I was the father that stayed in. I wasn't the father that wasn't there. Guys, fathers need to help their sons choose a spouse. How are you earning the trust of your children and how can you help them decide who they will marry? Abraham also wanted Isaac to stay in that land. He needed him to stay there. God had made it very clear that all of the land of Canaan at that time was going to belong to Abraham and his children. He had promised them that land. And Abraham was concerned if Isaac left to get married, he'd never come back. And he knew that that place they chose to live would have a significant impact on their life, wherever that was. And Abraham knew that that had to be the place God had promised. He needed to be here. Remember, the choice you make where you live makes a big difference. Well, he had seen that. Where had Abraham seen that? His, his nephew Lot chose the place to live. How did that work out? Not good. So he's thinking about Lot, and he's like, you got to live here, here. you got to be here with our family, with us, around us, where it's healthy and good. The place God wanted Abraham's people would be the place where they would experience his full blessings, which was in that land. And how do we know that? Because in the very first, first, very first verse of 24, it says, God had blessed Abraham in every way. In that place, because Abraham left his home and obeyed God and went to that place, and God blessed him there. So God, Abraham knew this is the place where God is going to bless us. He knew that. Men, where we live, it has a huge impact on our life, and you know that. Where you live has a huge impact. It impacts your choice of friends, where you worship, your hobbies, your home, your work, your income. All of that is affected by where you live. It can lead you to God or it can lead you away from God. It does, and you know it does. So let me help you think about it in a little different way with a smaller scale thought. When your bedroom drives you to pornography, are you in the right place or the wrong place? You're in the wrong place. When your winter travel has you playing games for three months with no thoughts of serving the Lord, are you in the right place or the wrong place? When your work has you ignoring your family because you have to put in long hours, are you in the right place or the wrong place? When the city you're living in has your kids playing sports every single Sunday and you skip church week after week after week, are you in the right place or the wrong place? When your friends who you love to hang out with always get drunk at dinner, are you in the right place or the wrong place? Where you live has a serious impact on how you behave, and it deeply impacts your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
How are the places you like to live impacting your ability to stay committed to serving Jesus as your master? In Genesis 24, 10 through 60, we watch this incredibly loyal servant whose name we do not know. Some say Eleazar, but we don't know that. I think the beauty of this story is he isn't named. I'm going to share five traits very quickly that I saw embedded in this. The first thing I see is this servant had proven his worth through years of dedicated service. This man had been in charge of everything Abraham owned and had proven himself loyal and trustworthy. And he behaved in this manner all those years because he knew that everything he managed was not his. It was his master's. His job security was dependent on how he cared for his master's assets. The key application for us is that God owns everything we possess. He owns, listen to this, our time, our possessions, our health, and our relationship. God simply gives us the opportunity to manage those areas of our life, but we don't own any of them. Sadly, most of us don't really treat our assets as if they're owned by God. We live as if they're fully ours. Yet God is expecting us to manage his assets, which he's let us use, knowing they fully are his and not ours. What can you start doing to better manage the time, money, health, and relationships God has given you to steward, not to keep? Second thing we see in the servant is he pledged an oath to Abraham to wholeheartedly follow his commands. He placed his hand under his thigh. Some say under his testicles. I know guys are like, what? That's weird, Bill. The Latin word for testifying is derived from the word testes. There are many commentators that said he put his hand under his testicles. Believe it or not, that's up to you. Whatever version you choose, he was circumcised. So this was a serious promise. When you put your hand down anywhere in a man's parts, it's a serious promise, and it had serious consequences. The future of his master's family was at stake, right? His estate, everything was at stake because this guy was making decisions for him. The servant's job and his well-being were always on the line. He took a serious oath. The application for us is that we have made this same exact type of promise when we committed our life to Jesus Christ. We looked Jesus in the eyes. We did. You remember the day you did it. And you swore an oath to him. And you said, I give you my life. You are my Lord and my master. I'll be obedient to you. I will fully serve you. I'll give every aspect of my life to you. I will steward all you've given me according to your will. That's what we said, you guys. But honestly, how many of us do you see actually living like that? I got to be honest with you, I don't see that very much at all. Most men have a very casual attitude about the oath they took when they gave their life to Jesus. It doesn't look anything like this servant. How would the story of your allegiance to Jesus look if it were written tonight? The third thing I saw in this servant was that he had a plan on how to find this wife. He didn't look for a way to delegate the assignment. He didn't ask Isaac what type of woman he was looking for. He immediately got about the work he was assigned. He traveled to the area where his master told him to go. And when he arrived, he got on his knees and he pleaded with God for help. He prayed a very specific prayer. 
And this he knew was going to be the best way to allow God to have control. His exact words, go back and look. Let her be the one you have chosen. Oh my gosh, did that dike your breath away? Let her be the one you have chosen. God, you have chosen. The servant knew the key to finding a wife for Isaac was to let God choose. The application for us is that prayer is a critical part of choosing a spouse. Men, we all should be praying for the spouse of someone we love who, know, who we know that wants to be married. We should be praying for this. This is serious business. This is not casual. Every guy in the group I was in tonight, I went around the circle, was picking a wife an important decision. Very important. How important? Very important. How critical? Very critical. Not a guy in the room disagrees with that. Nobody disagrees. But how casual are we in making the decision? And how casual are we standing by watching people, not even praying for their spouse? I can't tell you how many times, guys, Susie and I prayed for the wife of our boys. Dr. Dobson said when I was a brand new dad, I remember him saying two things one morning. He said, Bill, release your boys back to God. They're not yours. So if they die, you can handle the trauma and never stop praying for their wife. Every single night we prayed over our boys, my wife and I, every night, and we release them back to God. And we would always pray for their wife from the time they were little bitty. Never did we miss. And so when we stood here and we gave our sons to those women, I'm like, I've been praying for that girl for 30 years. I knew it was going to be God's choice. I knew it would. How often have you been praying for the spouse of your child or for that of a very close friend? The fourth, servant, the fourth thing I saw in this servant was he knew how to identify the right woman for Isaac. He knew Isaac and his family. He knew what type of woman would fit in that family. He knew how to measure the pedigree of her family and the quality of her character. He knew she had to be humble, and that girl had to be strong. Man, 120, 150 pounds of water in an hour, that chick was strong. He knew she would need to be beautiful, too. These were good-looking people. The application for us is that men looking for a wife need to look equally at her physical beauty, the nature of her family, and her character. Her beauty, the nature of her family, and her character. Those three matter. This is what we saw in this story. Young men tend to struggle to see those areas with objectivity. And this is why so many marriages fail. Young people often make poor decisions about their spouse. And this is why older people should be helping younger people sort out this decision. Men with a good relationship with their parents should let their parents help. So guys, if you're not married, let your parents help. And if you don't have good parents, which I know a lot of you guys don't, find an older couple that you trust to help you sort it out. And I'm happy to be one of those. I've done a lot of that in this class, and I love doing it. Young men, who will you ask for help with this decision? And for you guys that are married already, we need to be spending time with unmarried men, building a trusting relationship with them, so when they need help with that hard decision, you will be there for them. 
You will be, but you can't just walk in and think you got all the answers. They're not going to listen to you. All your stupid stories. No, you got to have time with them. Who are the unmarried guys that are part of your life? Not just a phone call once in a while, but are part of your life, right? So you guys all seen Scotty. He comes up here and talk. Scotty's been a part of our family for 20 plus years. And he's only been married for eight, Scotty? He's giving you the benefit of the doubt, all right? So of those 12 years prior to that, Scotty was single and an intimate part of our family, always around us, always in our family. And why did we do that? Because we believed in this story that God had called us to make sure there was a single guy in our family and that we're there for him when he needed somebody to help be that dad in his life. And he's got a great dad, but his dad was a long way off. And so Scotty and I got to be close in that way because I got to help him with those hard decisions when he needed somebody to be there. Who's the single guy in your life that you're making sure is around and you're doing life with him so when he needs those tough decisions, you're there for him? Who is that guy? And fifth and final thing, the servant gave all the praise to his master and to God throughout this interaction with Rebecca and her family. This is a beautiful picture. When Rebecca identified the name of her family, remember this scene? As soon as she just said who her family was, he's like, oh, that's the family. And he falls on the ground and starts thanking God. I mean, this is powerful. When the servant told his story to her family, he fully identified the name and character of his master. He described them. He said, here's what they look like. He described them in detail. Here's what they make. Here's what they do. Here's where they live. He wanted them to know these are great people. Abraham's become a great man, and his son is inheriting all of this stuff. He wanted them to know that this is a good family, and it's a lovely place where they live. He's describing this in great detail. Can you picture this, right? This is a beautiful thing. He also identified the way in which he prayed. The guy tells the whole story of how he prayed and what happened and how God answered the prayer. This elaborate description, it goes on and on and on. And why? Because he wanted it to be so clear that God blessed Abraham and that they were all sitting under the grace and the glory and the beauty of God. That's who these people were. So one of the key ideas is that the good servant always points people to their master, never themselves. Men, when Jesus has control of every aspect of our life, we never will doubt who gets the credit for our life, will we? He provides richly, and he also allows us to suffer. So we'll talk about his blessings in the good times, and we will talk about his faithfulness when life is hard. When you're around a man who lives as a servant of Jesus, a true servant like this guy was, his stories always make this clear description of the love and power of his master. He's always describing Jesus, and he describes the kingdom and what the kingdom's about in great detail because he knows what the kingdom's going to be. Heaven's going to look like this. It's going to be like that. You got to see it. You want to be a part of it. Jesus is like this. This is how he is. This is what it's like living with him. You got to know this guy. That's what a servant of Jesus says. He's excited about Jesus. He's excited about heaven. It's on his mind. He wants you to know. He wants you to know what it's like. He wants you to know there's tough times and there's good times. It's an amazing ride, and it's a crappy ride. But it's all with him, and it's always, always there. He's describing that's what this servant's doing. In fact, 
What's so cool about this? You never know the name of the servant. And that's what we're supposed to be like. You shouldn't know your name when the people walk away after you've talked to them. Who was that guy? I don't know, but he talked a lot about Jesus, and those stories were amazing. I don't really remember him. You remember? I don't know who he was. You know, I struggle with this because so often what I do when I get around people that I don't know real well is I like to tell my stories. And I'm really good at making them sound real Christian-y so they don't sound like I'm bragging, but I'm bragging. You know, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. You work in all these, these humble ways of saying who you are without being arrogant when you are. It's, I, I've gotten good at it. Because um, I, really, I, I really want the glory. I really do. I want the attention. I want people to say good things about me. I want, I want to look good. Yeah, I just like the praise. But you know, it's crazy. Glorifying myself is not the behavior of a dedicated, loyal servant. Jesus said in Matthew 20, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Men who truly serve Jesus want people to know him instead of them. What do your stories most oftenly glorify? Not better yet. Who do your stories most oftenly glorify? You or Jesus? In Genesis 24, 61 through 66, Isaiah and Rebekah were married. They chose to marry because they were brought together by people whom they trusted. They didn't drag it out to see if it would work. And what a joyful day for Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, and the servant. That dude must have been feeling good, huh? It's like, I did it. God chose this couple to help eventually bring forth his son, Jesus. This is the bigger story, you guys. If you don't hear anything, you got to listen to this. This is the bigger story. The key idea is that marriage is a critical part of God's plan to save all mankind. And in the very same way, your marriage is a critical part of God's plan to bring people to Jesus. Through your personal transformation and through the salvation of your children, God will use your marriage to make himself known to the world. Think about this. When men see you committed to marriage, sold out, all in, and they watch your personal transformation, every guy that sees that's going to go, that took a stinking miracle. Whew, that dude. And when they see your pagan children deeply committed to Jesus in this grossly perverted culture, they're going to say the same thing. That takes a miracle. God designed marriage for this purpose. It was his first and primary plan of salvation. But sadly, our culture has abandoned this platform. We celebrate every form of sexual behavior that denies God. Think about this. For an entire month. Every single year, every year for an entire month, we support and celebrate a perverted version of marriage. And yet, during the entire year, do you ever hear one story or celebration of the marriage of a man or a woman in any way? Do you see it? Do you hear it? In any way. So it's not surprising our young people are abandoning marriage in record levels. I could tell you guys this. My family is committed to elevating the purpose and the power of marriage. We're all in. And you know why? Because there were good men when I was a young man. 
Dr. Dobson at Focus on the Family, guys at Promise Keepers, Anthony Evans, these guys speaking into me when I was a young man, telling me marriage matters, Bill, get it right. Marriage matters, get it right. Marriage matters, get it right. I bought it, I drank the Kool-Aid. And now I'm standing here 35 years later saying, it changed my life. It transformed everything about my life. It changed my wife, it changed me, it changed my children, it changed my work, it changed everything. Because I got marriage right, because older men said, get it right. And I dared to listen. Marriage can and will do what God intended if we commit to the institution and put in the hard work that's required. We're praying that you will join us in celebrating biblical marriage in your family, in your work, and in your church. Guys, it's up to us to kindle the spark of marriage again. It's on us to say yes to marriage. This is what God intended. It is his first plan of salvation. Let's be excited. Let's celebrate and let's carry the banner with pride. What would need to change for you to assign the same value to marriage that God assigns to it? God, before the beginning of time, wanted a bride for his son, Jesus. He built a garden on earth to launch his plan. And then he created these two people and said, you two are going to build the church that marries my son. And at the onset of that marriage, a corrupted angel, the devil, whose pride had consumed him and out of pure jealousy and hatred toward Jesus, tried to destroy that first marriage. And guess what that stinker has done? For thousands of years, he's been trying to destroy marriages, believing if the marriages were broken, the church would never survive. And at some level, he has been right. Millions and millions of families have been broken and have abandoned God. Yet, the devil never anticipated God's plan. God sent his son Jesus and said, before we do the wedding, go down there and clean up that mess. Came to earth and he said, now I'm going to get rid of the sin that this devil has embedded in your heart. And I'm going to draw people to me. I'm going to sanctify you, and I'm going to clean up the corruption that this devil has placed, and I'm going to get you ready for this wedding. That work is not done, but it will be soon because he's coming back soon. And when he comes back, that stinker's going to be dead, and everyone that opposed him is going with him. And then the church, the bride of Jesus, will be joined together with the bridegroom. The Bible says in Revelation 19, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and the sound of a mighty thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and the wife has made herself ready. This is the final, most glorious and most joyful wedding that will ever be celebrated. Be celebrated and guess where we will be? In it. We'll be up here. Woo! Yes. God designed, built, and established marriage so it will end this way, like this. This is his story. He wrote it, and this is what marriage will do. We're going to close with these thoughts. Abraham and his servant are role models, guys, for us to follow. Listen to these things that you can take away. We need to recognize who owns all we have 
so that we can accept our role as a servant to him. We need to be committed to marriage because our master is committed to it. We need to build up marriage so our children will have a passion and desire for Jesus Christ. And we need to live like that servant, sold out with a pursuit of those who called to be at the wedding. That's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these precious men. Thank you for this beautiful, beautiful wedding story, Lord. What a glorious, glorious ending this will be. I can't wait to be standing next to you at the wedding, Lord. I can't wait to hear him say, Mr. and Mrs. Jesus, or whatever it is, Lord, it's going to be cool. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for building marriages in my son's lives with godly women. Thank you. Lord, I pray for these men that their marriages will be fortified, and the guys that aren't married will get godly women to marry, and marriage in this place will be held up as a pinnacle of the glory of God, and we will cherish it the way you do it, and we will value it like you do, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.